friends, if you've uh, closed your Bibles, let me encourage you to uh, reopen them, page 68. Look at Exodus 15. Why don't we pray together as we open God's Word. Father, thank you for all that you've been teaching us and showing us and revealing in Exodus in our series so far. And Lord, as we open chapter 15 today, we ask that once again you will reveal yourself to us and that you will open our hearts to receive your truth and pray that your spirit living in us will help us to understand and live and know and breathe this part of your word. Asking this in Jesus' great name, amen. I wonder what you think the world's most popular songs are about. This past week, I had a look at a study. And in this study, they looked at songs from the 1960s through to modern day. They looked at the top 40 charts. And they wanted to look at the most popular themes and rank them, rate them, that sort of way. So I wonder if you can guess what they are. I'm going to give you just a top handful of the most popular top 40 themes for the last 50 to 60 years. Number five, good times. Apparently, you need to sing about good times. All your parties, all your socials, all those things you go to, all these Presbyterian things people take part in. Uh, Number four is dance or dancing. So songs about particular dances are all the way in number four. So this would include the boogie and the twist, the macarena, the hokey pokey maybe. I won't ask you how familiar you are with these songs. Uh, Number three is about music itself. I'm actually a bit disappointed with this list, to be honest. No one is singing about anything yet of any depth. Uh, Number two is sex. Had to be up there somewhere. And who can guess what the number one theme is for popular music over the last 50 to 60 years? I'm sure you know it. Call it out. Love, absolutely right. For decades now, somewhere between 65 and 71, 71% of all popular music has been about love. So I'm sure in your top few favorite songs, love is in there somewhere. But if you're curious about where songs about God or religion come in, it's all the way down in spot number 10. In fact, it doesn't even make 10%. It's 9 point point something. And that means that today's passage in Exodus 15, it would barely or maybe not even make the charts. And why is that? Because this chapter is mostly a song. These are lyrics about God. See, last week we looked at how God miraculously brought the Israelites across the Red Sea and to freedom. As this chapter opens, they're on the other side. And so they look at what God has done for them, and they break into song. Chapter 15 is a response to who God is. It's praise towards him. And so we can reflect on these words. We can think about why we should sing God's praise. Because it is a wonderful picture here. I want us to explore just a couple of reasons. And the first is that God is the unmatched warrior. We should sing his praises because he is the unmatched warrior. Let's think about the Egyptians for a minute. The song starts by saying that it was the horse and the rider who were thrown into the sea. And if you look at verse 4, they sing, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. 
the best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. This is military language. The best of the best in the world's strongest army. They had the latest weapons, they had the most troops, but they could not stand up to God. Now they had thought they would win. We read in verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. Do you see their arrogance? But look at what happened. Verses 1 and 4. They were hurled into the sea. Verse 5. They sank to the depths like a stone. One of the most successful marketing things here in Australia over recent years is all of the kids' collectibles at the supermarkets, isn't it? Kids go crazy for this stuff. Mom, make sure you shop at Coles. See, notice they're using the name of the supermarket so I can get some little shops. We have to go to Woolies so I can get some Ushies. It's brilliant marketing. Don't fall for it, okay? But thinking about this, do you know what Ushies are? Ushies, they've actually been around for a long time. They're these little rubber figures that you stick on the top of your pencil. But the kids have come up with a game for them. Each of, the play, each of the players, you line up the little ushies in front of them, okay, and you flick these little figures with your uh, finger and hopefully aiming it so that you can knock down your opponent and the rubber and they bounce around and it's, you need strategy, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I've played it with the kids and with the slightest flick of my, that's my finger by the way, uh, the slightest flick of my finger, these little figures go flying off the kitchen table. You can stand them up like an army but it can be over in a matter of seconds. God merely gave the Egyptians a flick with his finger. Verses 6 and 7. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. The Egyptians were no match for God. And so his majesty and his power, they are worth singing about. But I want us to notice something else about all this battle language. It reminds us that God is a warrior. It said so clearly in verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. If I asked you, without having looked at today's passage, to make a list of how we could describe God, I bet us here at EPC would come up with a brilliant list. I'm sure we would. Okay, lots of good titles. We'd say things like, God is my shepherd. He is my rock and redeemer. Uh, Some of us might think about how Jesus is the light of the world or how he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And all of those would be very, very good answers. I'm sure we'd have a, a very good list. But I'd also bet that very few of us would say that God is a warrior. With Father's Day being only last Sunday, the kids uh, had some gifts for me, which is nice, and they had the expected cards that they make in primary school. Now, Evelyn being in kindy, she had one of those sheets where they fill in the blanks, you know, so my dad's favorite food is, you know, such and such. Uh, What I love about my dad is, you know, when they fill in something. Here's how she started her card. My dad's name is Dad. Now, it's a good try. You know, no matter how much she loves me, she forgot a big part of who I am. 
And we too, we can know God and we can love God. We can list all these brilliant titles about things we appreciate about him so much. And yet I would bet that most of us probably forget that he's a warrior. Does that surprise you? A kind of language? Talking about God that way, that God is a warrior? Well, let's think about it. What would it mean if God wasn't a warrior? Well, it could mean that he's not powerful enough to fight the evil in our world. It would mean that God is not a God of justice because wrongdoing then it would be overlooked. If God was not a warrior, there would be no cross of Jesus Christ and no resurrection from the dead because that is nothing less than him battling sin for us. The Bible talks about the cross as destroying sin and death. It's where he disarms the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them in his triumph. The Bible says that all things are placed under the feet of Christ. This is all warrior language. And the risen Jesus himself is described as a warrior too. Revelation 19 is very graphic. It describes him as leading the armies of heaven, dressed in a robe dripping with blood, and striking down the nations with a sword. But you know, friends, God is a warrior all the time. He's always fighting for us. We see it in his common grace. He restrains sin so that it is having less of an impact on our world and our lives than it would have otherwise if he wasn't holding it back. We see it in him growing us to be more and more like Jesus all of the time because he's putting our sin to death over and over, making us more like his son. Do you know that God is a warrior? This is so much a part of who he is that it's right to sing his praises about this. And it gives us so much hope because it means that he is in the trenches with us. He is in the midst of all that life throws our way. And so we can build on the bigness of God that we looked at last week and we can ask him to fight for us, to fight with us. So we're on the internet and there's that thumbnail link that we know will lead us to some questionable content. Or that word is on the tip of our tongue as we really want to lash out at somebody. Or we're tempted to join in with the office, lunchroom, gossip. One of the things we can do at times like this is to ask God to fight for us. To fight our sin and temptation. To fight darkness. To put those desires that do not please him to death. Because God is a warrior. And this also gives us hope when the world disappoints. Because we're going to be let down. There will be injustices. Evil people will get away with things. But if God is a warrior, then one day all wrongs will be made right. Because see, no sin will go unnoticed. No sin will go as if it's never been dealt with in some way. He will deal with it all. And I think Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 are so helpful here. It says, therefore God exalted him, that's the risen Christ, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A time is coming when every person who has ever lived 
will bow before the victorious one. But they're going to be in two camps. Those of us who have been saved by Christ will joyfully bow before him as Lord. But those who rejected him will be bowing for another reason. Because they are a defeated foe. They will have no choice. Because, see, no sin will go undealt with. God is a warrior. That's worth singing about. But I want us to explore one other thing about God in this song. We also see that he is the personal God of eternal relationship. The personal God of eternal relationship. Let's look a little more closely at the beginning of this song again in verses uh, 2 and 3. There they sing, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Now, not only do we have here God's personal name, the Lord, where it's written like that in all capital letters, or Yahweh, uh, but it says that he is my strength. He is my song. And that's very significant. See, this whole song is a response to what God has done for his people. They're not just singing about God as great and powerful, but as their God who has gone into battle for them. They're not talking about God in the third person, but they're celebrating what he has just done out of his great love for his people. I was waiting for the metro the other day, and for the first time, I noticed that there are a whole bunch of slogans on the barrier, you know, next to uh, where the doors open. You know, and it says things like, meeting my mates, you know, I love my new shoes. I mean, where, where do they get this marketing? But anyway, uh, it's typical, though, isn't it? We use the word my all over the place in today's world, in today's culture. But let's not forget that as Christians, we have the same privilege that these Israelites had. In fact, we have the greatest my. We have the best use of the word my. Because we can sing wholeheartedly, we can praise my God. Because I know him, and he knows me, and he has acted powerfully for me. Now, of course, we, we don't want to push this so far that we, it becomes more about us than God. Here the focus stays rightfully on him. But let's not forget that God's deeds are not done in a vacuum. His compassion and his power are poured out on the people that he loves. In fact, I'd like to push this a little further. Sometimes people say that when we come to church, we should leave our baggage at the door and just focus on worshiping God. Now, don't get me wrong. That's Every time I've heard that said, it's been with great intention. And I I get the sentiment, and yes, we do need to have more focused time on God and take time out with God and having that dedicated time with him. But I also personally believe that we are most human when every part of who we are, all of our joys and all of our struggles are laid at God's feet. I actually think we should bring both the worries and the joys into church every single time we come. Because that is exactly where God is ministering in our life. He ministers in the everyday. It gives a shape and a context for all of the praises that we sing and whenever we reflect on his love and his power. So let's personalize what we sing at church. 
The cross is glorious, yes, and there Jesus died for me. Amazing grace. And you know what? I can taste and I can trust in that grace every day in the very shape of my life. Here the Israelites are singing about something that literally just happened to them. That's what they're doing here. Let's be careful not to make our praise of God so abstract that we forget that he's personal. And we see this part of who he is so strongly across this song. And as we move towards the last section of it, uh, let's jump to verse 13. And it says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. That phrase, unfailing love, is a wonderful word in the original language. It means to be steadfast. It's about committed love. It's about covenantal love. It's relationship language. And that's exactly what this last section brings out. Notice what God is doing here. From this committed love, he leads the people he saved by his mighty hand. He brings them safely through enemy territory. And look at verse 17 with me, please. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The people are brought home. They're brought to the place where God will dwell with them. Friends, if we want to truly understand the exodus and all the might and power of God up to this point in the story, we need to ask this question. What are the people saved for? I mean, why did God do this? Yes, it shows his glory, but there's something else happening here too. God saves to bring people into a relationship with himself. And as the new people of God, we can ask the same thing about the gospel. Why the cross and the resurrection? Just to defeat sin and death, full stop? It can't be. Because it's our sin and death that God is dealing with through Jesus. Jesus died and rose again to restore our relationship with the living God. That's what it's leading to. God's power comes with love. God's absolute defeat of his enemies here, the, the, the lyrics, the choice of words they're using here, his hurling them into the sea. It comes with him drawing his people close to himself. His burning anger consuming the enemy like stubble, it comes with an unfailing, shepherd-like, gracious love for his people. This is something to sing about. God is worthy of our praise. He's the unmatched warrior, yes, and he's also the personal God of eternal relationship. That's what they're singing about here. But did you notice a word that I just used that we haven't explored yet? It's the word eternal. Look with me, please, at the very last line of the song. Verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. A little over a month ago, a man in France took a bit of an interesting ride. Uh, Frankie Zapata, an inventor, he attempted the world's first crossing of the English Channel by, get this, jet-powered hovercraft. So apparently he strapped on 42 liters of kerosene, took off from Calais in France. He was going to refuel halfway, so they had a 
boat waiting for him um, halfway across, and he was going to then land in Dover on the other side. Sounds great. There was a bit of fanfare. Everybody was excited. Unfortunately, he didn't land properly on the refueling vessel and fell off into the sea. Now, it's okay. He's alive. He's fine. He's going to attempt it again. Probably will be successful at some point. But this was a journey where, at least right now, despite all of the praise and despite all of the lead-up, he didn't make it to the other side. With God, the journey is never questionable. There's never a doubt that we'll get to the destination. It's not trial and error. There's no refueling needed. There are no hiccups in God's plans. He led these people out of Egypt. He led them through the sea. He is going to lead them through the desert, and he will lead them into the promised land. And for us, our powerful warrior God of eternal relationship, he will lead us home. We've seen that no enemy can get in his way. You know what we're going to find ourselves doing? Singing God's praises because of who he is and what he has done. Listen as I read from a vision in Revelation 15. And here the people, it's, it's amazing how Exodus is captured here. Here the people are also next to a sea. A series of plagues has just ended. And notice what the song is called and what it's about. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Friends, this song by the sea in Exodus 15 is an eternal song. It's our song. Our faithful God keeps acting like he does here towards his people in every age. He remains the unmatched warrior. He remains the personal God of eternal relationship. And so he's worthy of praise. And that means our lives should praise him. Let's look to how he has acted powerfully for us and sing his name. That can be in song as we come to church. So let's reflect well and personally as we, as we sing together. Let's not forget that we can take this sort of, uh, you know, songs about God and bring them out into the rest of our lives. And yes, we can throw that CD and Christian CD in our car or load up our Spotify playlist with uh, Christian music. Um, in our prayers, we can not only ask God for help, as we should keep doing, but we can stop and reflect God's wonder back to him there. As we read God's word in our hearts and minds, we can turn that truth back into praise and song. And you know what? Our great truth is that whatever we face in this life, God remains worthy of praise because of what Jesus has done for us. Our songs probably will never reach the top 40, but they will reach the ears of the one who matters. And he is the unmatched warrior. And he is our personal God of eternal relationship. And so he is worthy of our praise. Will you pray with me, please? And as we pray, we'll close the service as well. Our great Father, we thank you for what you have been teaching us here in Exodus chapter 15. 
And Lord, we thank you that we're reminded that you are praiseworthy. Lord, we praise you that you are unmatched, that no enemy can get in your way or defeat you or stop your plans for us. Lord, we praise you that you are a warrior, that you have gone into battle for us in the cross of Christ, that you go into battle for us daily, that you battle the, the effects of sin in this world. And we know that all we laid at the feet of Christ as an undefeated foe. Lord, we praise you that you are our personal God, that we can say, my God. We praise you that you are a God of eternal relationship, that you reign forever and you call us home. So, Lord, be with us so that we live lives of praise, natural response to you because of who you are. Change our hearts, Lord, to see you this way. We ask that our praise will be real and natural because we have known you the way you reveal yourself to us. Well, thank you again for all that you've been teaching us in Exodus. And we commit ourselves into your hands as your redeemed people who you will always lead. In Jesus' great name. Amen.